Brooklyn, New York. I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a Vine Parent Next Round Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations during the regular roundtable discussions in order to give a better picture of what's going on in the world of alcohol beverage. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Jeff Siegel, the owner of Domestique Wine, and Mary Lugo, the director of operations of Domestique Wine. Uh, Jeff, Mary, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. Excited to be here. So where does the world find you today? Uh, and where can you tell us a little bit about Domestique? Sure. Uh, well, the world at the moment finds me hiding upstairs in one of my kids' bedrooms with the hope <laughs> that they will not come and uh, interrupt this this interview. Uh, but so far, it seems to be working. Uh, and uh, I don't know, Mary, where you are right now. I am coming uh, live to you uh, from the basement of Domestique. I'm uh, perched uh, atop some boxes um, and, uh, you know, just trying to to lay low and, and find some peace and quiet <laughs> among the, uh, you know, the phone calls and the delivery orders that are happening upstairs. Nice. So, so what is Domestique? Domestique is a wine shop that focuses solely on selling natural wine as we define it, whatever that means. And, and we're happy to get into that, of course. But uh, we also sell beer, cider, spirits, and, and otherwise. But the focus for us has always been being the, the first and, and really only natural wine shop in D.C. We opened the day before Thanksgiving in 2018. So it's been about two and a half years now. Uh, and of course, then COVID happened. And so it's been about half of our lifespan. A little less has been a really interesting time. But yeah, so we are uh, towards the kind of middle of D.C. where a bunch of neighborhoods meet on a very busy corner there. Uh, and we are a wine shop that really cares about natural wine. And so like how, how large is the shop? Is it, you know... I guess for, for listeners who live all over the country, everyone sort of has a different vision of the wine shop. Can you kind of like in our minds paint what it looks like, sort of how many bottles you're selling, um, what the square footage is? Of course. The shop is is fairly large. I think one of the main things that we wanted to do is, is create a, a natural wine shop that looked a little different. So many natural wine shops both in Europe uh, and in the U.S. Are, are pretty small. And they're, you know, the more kind of classic cobs set up with boxes on the floor and uh, dark and intimate. And, and those are great. Uh, I think we've all spent a lot of time shopping in those places. But we wanted to do something that was a bit larger and uh, had a different look and feel to it. So Domestique is big. It's over 2,000 square feet. Uh, it has very high ceilings. It's in a formerly sort of industrial space in a very old building in DC, uh, and we have a fair bit of wine. We have over a thousand SKUs. There's a lot of wine on the floor at any time. So it's a shop, I'd say, visually that's also defined by by the way that it's organized in the term, in the sense that we try not to overcrowd it. We wanted a lot of space to showcase these producers and their bottles. There's a lot of light. We have nine floor to ceiling windows around the shop, and we were lucky enough to find a space in DC where none of those windows ever get direct sunlight. It's all indirect. So for the wine, that, that's helpful. Obviously, we have blinds and, and window treatments, but we wanted it to be a very light-filled experience to be a little more inviting and change what people are used to in wine retail, which I think can sometimes be intimidating, which is this sort of darker, more intimate experience where you have to be in the same space as other people in very tiny spaces all the time. Okay, cool. And so you... You started in 2018. So what uh, sort of propelled you to open a wine shop? 
I moved here about five years ago. My wife got a job here and we moved down. Uh, I'm actually from DC. I, I never thought I would live here as an adult. Uh, I was not in the cards. Before this, I'd spent my entire life in New York or San Francisco. And when I okay. got here, I realized that the wines that I was used to selling professionally and, and drinking personally were not really being sold in DC. There wasn't a retailer like I was used to shopping at in those other cities. I spent a lot of time in New York at Chambers Street and in San Francisco at Byright and elsewhere. And and, uh, and there wasn't anybody doing that. And that need felt apparent to me. So part of it was as simple as that, was really wanting to bring that to DC because it didn't seem to exist. But at the same time, DC is a really fantastic wine community full of really curious wine drinkers and people who love food and wine. Uh, so it was a combination of, of those two things put together, made it seem like the right opportunity. And then, of course, like any other business, it took years to get it going and get the process put together. But that was the genesis of the idea. Cool. And so, so Jeff, you had worked on the floor before starting this or you'd worked in other shops or so you, you sort of mentioned, you know, that you had sold wine prior to opening Domestique. I did both. I started working in wine retail in San Francisco when I was 23 years old. So a new or at least like legally newish drinker. Uh, so I worked in wine retail in San Francisco. And then in San Francisco, I opened up uh, when I was also still pretty young, a, uh, a wine bar and retailer called Heart in, in, uh, in the city on Valencia Street. So that was in 2010. And we were open for a, a couple of years then before I moved to New York. Uh, and then in New York, I was a sommelier at Del Posto. Oh, cool. And Mary, what about you? So what brought you to Domestique? So I got into um, beverage by way of food. Um, I'm a, a food lover and I moved to D.C., um, you know, like a lot of, of young, bright-eyed college graduates to work in policy and very quickly became disillusioned with that world and, and found my home in kitchens and in restaurants and then eventually running a restaurant, um, Little Cero, which is a northern Thai restaurant in DuPont Circle in Washington, D.C. Um, and I really fell in love with the idea of connecting with people over food and wine and curating people's experiences and being part of their special moments and also just, you know, their everyday weekday meals. Um, and uh, that's sort of like how I, I fell in love with wine and, and how it could tell a story and it could brighten somebody's day or share something new or connect people who maybe didn't have a ton in common. Um, and so, you know, Domestique is built around people. It's built around making people feel comfortable, making people feel safe, uh, sharing new experiences and new flavors and ideas with people. And that is, is very much something that I identified with. So it felt like a very natural fit um, when the time came to to join and to, to grow a little bit. Um, so, you know, those those two things feel very part and parcel is, is wine and also the experience and taking care of people, whether that be in a dining room or also on the floor of a wine shop. Cool. So obviously we're talking a lot about the floor of a wine shop, but then, you know, about exactly a year ago, um, COVID happened. So um, how did that change your business and sort of what does domestic look like now? Is it different than what it looked like before? And, you know, what have you guys done to sort of adapt to everything that's been happening in the, you know, in the current environment? Domestic looks hugely different now, I'd say. It's, it's hard to even compare to what it was. We, uh, at the moment, we are still closed for all walk-in shopping. So we're doing shopping by appointment only. We are, are really focused on local delivery, on in-store pickup at the front door. 
uh, and on shipping to people nationally and then the appointments. And so we had gone from being a very busy brick and mortar retailer that was focused on this curated in-store kind of aesthetically driven experience to essentially being a, a small warehouse, you know, like a, an, an Amazon that's not an Amazon that is staffed right. by people who come from restaurants and who wanted to talk to customers about wine. And so I'd, I'd say overall, and Mary, I'm sure you have more to add to this, but we, uh, in one day, like the flip of a switch, the whole business uh, shifted massively. Are you like, are you, are you doing most things shipping now? Like, are you, are, are you sending to want to, do you have customers all over the country or are the majority of your customers, you know, still the DC area? The majority of our customers are still local, um, but, you know, we had a very small nationwide presence in terms of shipping prior to to COVID, and that has grown exponentially for us. It's still a, a smaller portion of our of our overall customer base, but it, it definitely has grown. And we've had to, you know, develop systems for local delivery and for nationwide shipping essentially overnight. And those have adapted and those have evolved and gotten, you know, smoother and, and less bumpy along the way. But um, we really were were forced to grow up and to kind of, um, you know, be nimble in those ways and grow. Uh, definitely faster um, than we were anticipating in terms of of those those markets. Um, but you know we still have a very loyal and really wonderful customer base in our own neighborhood and in the, the DC area. So we do have a, a huge amount of people who do still come up, come and, and pick up their wine. Um, you know, and all of that becomes is happens outside of, of the store. So we do have a a system for handing off of wine, like like many restaurants and many um, shops around the, the country and the world. Um, so you know, it's been it's been a challenge, and it has it's been the challenges have been both with the physical space, like Jeff mentioned, you know, we have this beautiful shop that's designed for people to walk around and has wide aisles and, you know, space and light. And now it's filled with packing boxes and, you know, uh, bags with people's names on them. So it, it feels very, it still doesn't feel normal to have a space that's not meant to be doing what it's doing. And yet it's, you know, it's, it's a fulfillment warehouse. And then also, you know, it's how to, um, still, can still promote that uh, human connection that we are so passionate about that we really fed off of pre-COVID, you know, and so that takes the form of appointments. So now that, you know, things have settled down, we, um, we start, we've started to do appointments. So there's one-on-one appointments that, pe- that customers can book phone appointments. And then there's just all the sort of off the cuff calls and emails that we get with people who would normally pop in and can't do that anymore. So how can we kind of promote them asking those, those questions and having a little bit of spontaneity in terms of our interactions. Um, and sometimes that, that comes in, that in the form of just a note or a doodle or some sort of just like little bit of whimsy that you don't get these days, especially um, in these times, you know, when we're all having to be far apart. So it's been a, a huge priority for us in terms of, of our staff and also um, maintaining our customer base to to continue that that connection and continue that that touch. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious about this because Mary, you bring it up and I wanted to ask about it with, with the, the hot wines and things like that. So, you know, natural wine is very confusing to most consumers. Um, it's a term that people define very differently. Some people, it's a taste profile, right? For other people, uh, it just means biodynamic and organic wine. It's a wine that I find you can't really understand unless you walk into a wine shop and get to have a, a conversation with, the, with people about what actually you mean as a consumer when you say you like natural wine. Um, 
So I'm curious how you're dealing with that now, because obviously when someone walks into the shop, they would have gotten to have those conversations. So I know you set up a, um, a hotline. Can you talk a little bit more about that and sort of what the process has been? Because even now when I'm on your site, sort of going through all the different wines, I see lots of wines I love and other wines I'm like, I've never heard of that before. Would that, you know, how would I ask them about those flavor profiles? So what are, what are you both doing and the whole team doing sort of help educate consumers? Right, right. I mean, I think, like you you said, I mean, the the appointments and the hotline, the hotline blings, um, our phone appointments are are part and parcel of that. Um, in addition to just like kind of enriching those experiences that we do have face to face. So it's like even if you're six feet away and you're masked and you're handing off a, a bag to somebody, how can you sort of inject a, a few moments of of personality and of of personal touch there? Um, so you know it is it's not it's imperfect. It's not something that is is ideal by any means. Um, as well as our social media and our website presence, right? So it's like how can we inject a little bit of flavor, a little bit of our voice in product descriptions or on our Instagram things that make people feel a little closer to us and a little safer to perhaps approach us or to, to give us a ring or send us a DM or mm-hmm. send us an email, you know, but it's, um, it's, it's definitely a work in progress and it's, it's tough for, for us yeah. too, because we, we feed off of that kind of energy. You know, that's why we all got into this business. Even right, totally. um, you know, everybody in our, on our staff, you know, signed up to, to talk to people, not to, to stuff bags. And do you find our, our people sort of, are we, are they reaching out? Are they using the, the, um, the phone line? Yeah, yeah. People are really hungry for human connection right now. You know, I think people are changing emotionally and, you know, psychologically and structurally. So people are hungry for that, that connection and people want to shop more locally. People feel a little bit more mindful about where they're spending their money. So we've had really incredible responses in terms of our regulars and also creating new regulars, right? So it's like, we are making connections with people halfway across the country because we were forced to grow in those directions. Um, and that has been really rewarding. So obviously you've changed a lot this year in terms of how you're reaching consumers. Um, and you also launched a fellowship. Uh, can you talk a little about the fellowship? So we decided to launch the fellowship last year, uh, honestly, right as COVID started happening and, and uh, that was coincidental and, unfortunate in many ways, but also we wanted, the fellowship was something we were very excited about and that came about because of what was happening around the country uh, in terms of the racial justice movement and things happening after George Floyd. And it's something we'd been thinking about for a long time and decided then to, to really bring to fruition as soon as possible, which was how to take the wine world especially the natural wine world, and make it more accessible. And and often we talk about accessibility in terms of consumers, but in this case, more accessible to professionals, to people who wanted to break into the wine world, specifically people of color who weren't getting the opportunities to get a foothold in the wine world and in natural wine specifically. And we wanted to create a fellowship that would give somebody all of the tools they need to go and essentially start their own business at some point. Okay. Because I think one of the things that uh, is being faced in the wine world is a lack of ownership by people of color. And in order to help address that, I think there are a lot of knowledge systems that are, are sort of hidden away and, and are not, uh, accessible, and we wanted to open that up. So we created a fellowship. It was called the Major Taylor Fellowship. 
named after Major Taylor, who was a, a cycling star, uh, the first really black American uh, sports star on the global scene over 100 years ago. And we have a, a cycling connection as a shop. So that was the namesake for the project. And the idea was a month-long fellowship that would be paid and paid well, because often these opportunities really are not, that would bring somebody into Domestique and would show them everything. So you'd see wine buying, you would see how the business is run, you would learn retail and how we do retail, you'd see the back end of Shopify and the online side of it and how we run our website, and you would be exposed to everything. And we also coordinated that with stages at three of the top restaurants in DC, because it, we didn't want it to be retail only. The idea was right. a, an intro into the wine world and, and obviously restaurants. And again, this was pre-COVID and planning, and, and I think took shape somewhat differently after that. But restaurants are a very important part of wine and are even part of what we do as retailers. So we also set it up uh, with with restaurants, with three top restaurants that have stages there. And the fellowship was a, was a partnership with Street Sense, an organization in D.C. that does work like this. And the, the partnership with Street Sense is really focused on designing spaces. So restaurant design, retail design, how you would go about designing your own space. And we got applications from all over the country, from a ton of incredible applicants really from everywhere. And we were shocked by just the volume and the quality of, of applications we were getting from people in every sort of nook and corner of the U.S. And then our first fellow, Kayla Mensa, started with us later on in the summertime. So, yeah. So, so have, you, have you only had one fellow so far or? So far, we've only had one fellow. We're in the process of getting ready to launch the next round of fellowship right now. So likely in the next uh, month or two, we'll be rolling out the second uh, part of the fellowship where we'll then find the next fellow. Uh, but actually, Kayla decided to join us after the fellowship. So Kayla now is a full-time uh, member of Domestique and is a sales and ops uh, sort of person for us who does everything. Kayla's incredible, and she's vital on the sales floor and on the website and doing hot wine blings and appointments and also does a lot on the operations side. So she really wanted to come to Domestique and be in D.C., and and we found a really great fit for her, and and, uh, and she's sort of continued the work she started in the fellowship at the shop. Does she still have plans to open a spot at some point on her own? She does. Yeah. So I'm curious, what are you, when you launch the next one, um, is there anything from the fellowship you will change, you will sort of improve or or you'll switch up at all? I think the plan as it was works pretty well. The restaurant angle, we'll have to see where restaurants are. Yeah. And I, I think given what's happening with restaurants now and reopening and, and a high level of takeout and delivery wine service at restaurants looks different. So we'll likely want to talk to our restaurant partners in DC and see how they would like that element to be integrated. I think also we'll try to incorporate more travel into it. We definitely involved some winemakers in Virginia, distributors elsewhere around the area into the first round. And I think we'd like to expand that a little bit. Travel and getting to know different people is an essential part of what we do in wine. And it's something we'd like to push on as it grows. One of the things I'm curious about, so I um, I, I sit on a bunch of boards uh, for entrepreneurs uh, who are people of color. And one of the hardest uh, 
you know, things for people of color to open businesses is access to capital um, and and raising money. Do you spend any time uh, in the fellowship in sort of helping people figure out how you have access to capital, where you can go to raise money, uh, et cetera? Because, you know, banks traditionally have been sort of very hard to give loans to, uh, you know, minority communities. There are investors that just for, you know, for whatever reason, invest in people that look like them, um, which is a problem. So I'm, I'm curious because I know if the goal is to have people open businesses down the road, um, that's one of the, the clear things people need uh, to be able to do. So I, I just wanted to sort of understand what, how you guys sort of help them understand that ability to, you know, get the money to open in the first place. That's a great point. It's something we cover for sure. In the first round, we did cover it was something we'd love to expand on to your question on that. It would be great to be able to form partnerships with people who could help there as we grow and continue the fellowship. Clearly, access to capital is is the biggest or one of the largest barriers here and uh, for many reasons. But one of the things that's not talked about in wine often is that a lot of wine retail is built on the you know, be having access to a couple of wealthy investors. Yep. Bank loans are hard to come by. Retail margins don't often support uh, a loan structure. So there are some people are lucky and get loans, but I, I think you correctly point out that that is very hard to come by in this world. So a place we plan to spend time and we do. The other component to that is, and there's nothing about this that's set in stone. It's meant to be fluid and and we want to know the people and what their plans are. But Domestique as a business is open to investing in these businesses. So awesome. something we do talk about is how we as a business can be involved. And if a fellow has a great idea and a great concept, those are the kinds of opportunities we uh, as a retailer and just as a, a business in wine are looking to invest in both to increase uh, equity and accessibility, but also for us as an investment in growing and making a better wine world. So financially, something that we are, are looking to uh, put our time and capital into. Very cool. And is there, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the fellowship is very clear on the site, et cetera, but do you, uh, how do you promote the fellowship as well to your own customers? And are there are there ways that if, if people who are either listening or who are customers of the shop want to give help support the fellowship, are there ways that people can do that? There are, and we're going to try to have more formal ways. Our customers were the most amazing part of the fellowship. And at once the fellowship launched, we had customers calling and emailing and DMing us every single day, multiple times. How can I help? How can I donate money? We've had customers donate their time and their professional help. We've, we've had customers who reached out and said, I'm a professional coach. Can I work with this person on professional coaching? And uh, the our customer base really engaged with Kayla as a fellow and with the fellowship in general. And so we would like to find a way to formalize the ability to bring in donations and, and other investments, be it capital or not, on a larger scale, because it was really heartening to see people's response there and how much people wanted to help. And still, it, it began then and still to this day that we have customers who will call the shop, who will book uh, a hot wine appointment and will ask to speak to Kayla, to speak to the fellow. Our customers want to interact with the person who has this role. Uh, they want to support it, but they, they also are just really excited about the, the prospect of playing part of this. Very cool. 
Well, uh, Mary and Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Tell me more about Domestique and also all the cool stuff you guys are doing in DC. Uh, everyone appreciates the hard work that you're putting in. Obviously, hopefully things change for the better very soon in terms of being able to open and, and you have the you know a full shop full of customers again. Um, but you know, in the meantime, where can people find you? So we are at domestiquewine.com as well as on Instagram. Um, and, you know, we are always uh, excited and available for emails or DMs or phone calls um, or for, you know, uh, an in- online in-person appointment. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're hopeful to, to get back to where we were and, and go beyond that. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also... I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.